Hello and welcome to Mikey Pod. This is episode 203. It's February 9th, 2016. Welcome to the show. Quick disclaimer, I told you two weeks ago I would have a show up that Friday. I didn't. Now here it is. I'm going to tell you again today, I'm going to have a show up on Friday because I'd like to get caught up. And then because I have now three interviews uh, ready to go. So here's the one from Jasmine Singer, who I adore. She has a new book called uh, Always Too Much and Never Enough. It just came out last Tuesday and it's great. And I really adore Jasmine. She is um, the co-founder of our Hen House. It's a media hub podcast, um, online magazine. They had a TV show for a while. Awesome animal related stuff. Amazingness. <laughs> I'm feeling like I want to just get this show over with. Um, not over with, get this part of the show over with so we can get to the interview because it's really great. So um, I'd like to talk to you one quick bit about drip.com. I told you about my drip a couple of times. <laughs> I still laugh every time I say it. I told you about my drip, right? Yeah, it's kind of gross. No, drip.com slash Michael Heron. You can join my community there. It's five bucks a month. You get um, a bunch of downloads. You get um, reflections that I'm doing weekly on the show I'm creating that I'll be performing at Dixon Place here in New York City in October. Uh, MichaelHeron.com is my website, by the way. Uh, And that five bucks a month goes a long way toward not just filling my wallet uh, with money I need (laughs) so I can do this work I so I'm really passionate about doing this work. Uh, And you can see a lot of it on my website if you're curious what that's all about. But also just having like people in my corner that are just that interest, that small amount of extra interest means a tremendous amount. So those of you that are there already, I appreciate it. If you're joining in the conversation there, I also appreciate it. If you're listening to this podcast, any of that stuff, I appreciate anyone who's like, you know, so blah, blah, blah. Anyway, drip.com ghostly international is a record label. I really enjoy now more than ever because I joined their drip. It's $15 a month for them, but it's record label. So they release a lot of music and you just get to download all of the new releases as they come, which it's a great deal. And then you get some credits to download past back catalog stuff too. Um, I've learned about a lot of great bands that I might not have listened to otherwise, like this one. This is from the latest album by Beacon. The album is called Escapements, and this track is called Preserve. And after this, we'll hear from Jasmine Singer.
Joining me now on the show is Jasmine Singer, who is the co-founder and executive director of Our Hen House, which is a nonprofit multimedia hub working to change the world for animals. With Our Hen House, this is the longest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm laughing because it's so funny that you're my, I mean, you're my friend and I'm doing this whole thing. But okay, let me get back to it. With Our Hen House, she produces an online magazine and a video production unit. She is a regular public speaker on the subject of veganism and activism and travels throughout the country and beyond to give workshops and keynotes at venues such as conferences, vegetarian food fests, law schools, and universities. Her memoir, Always Too Much and Never Enough, was just released this week, and we're here to talk about it. Welcome to the show, Jasmine. You know, it's so weird. Your listeners don't even realize that you actually say that every time I walk into a room or a restaurant or we're hanging out, you just get up and say it. <laughs> it's so weird. I know. Weird. It's, it's kind of a thing like that. Jasmine gets really mad if I don't do that. Yeah, and then it yeah. becomes a hole. So it's just better to just do it. Like yeah. I have to tap on a glass. Mm-hmm. Ting, 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 ting. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Jasmine Singer. Well, how else am I going to make my entrance? <laughs> it's a prerequisite to be my friend. And everyone in New York knows this now. And I go, oh, Jesus. Jasmine's going to be here tonight. Most of them out of New York. I don't know why. Because <laughs> you show up at too many places. They can't take it anymore. Yeah, exactly. I'm always too much and never enough. Oh, oh that was perfect. Yeah got that in there that was perfection so listen you've got a book out this week That's um, funny. Uh. yeah um so i talk about like so many things on this podcast and you are like the perfect combination of all of them veganism creativity and what's the other thing i think those are the two things veganism and creativity and right you've written a book yeah it's I, just come it, out it's- really personal and you know when you're writing a memoir you kind of forget the fact that well if you're lucky people read it of course you don't know if people will read it but hopefully they will hopefully at least my mom will read it but hopefully a few other people as well the thing is then it comes out like two years later and you look back at it and you realize all the things you said and it's like oh my god everybody knows this stuff now yeah and there's some stories Mm. in this book yeah. They got some stories in here. I don't know if they let you read your book. Yeah, I've read my book approximately 87 times. Yeah. Can, can you give us like a nutshell version of what the book is about? Yeah, my book, Always Too Much and Never Enough, is basically it's a roundabout journey toward like finding and seeking and wanting personal authenticity, which is, of course, nothing that I have yet mastered. I'm not going to here and say, I got it. I know the answer. But it's about figuring that out. And for me, it started with picking apart the horrors of the animal agriculture industry. And as I learned the truth about that and realized that I had been being betrayed by the system, which betrayed all of us or continues to, I realized that there were also a lot of ways I was betraying myself. So it became this really kind of dynamic process of figuring out things that I myself was not looking at from any kind of honest perspective. I dealt with my sexuality, became a big old dyke. Uh, I lost a hundred pounds. I started to finally confront these issues that we all have issues with our mother. Maybe you even have issues with my mother, but (laughs) she was like this absolutely awesome, beautiful, thin woman. And growing up as a fat kid in her kind of skinny shadow also informed my life. So it's basically about picking apart all of that and, and coming to a place where I think I am hopefully much more empowered than I used to be, though in some ways a little more jaded. Yeah, like the 
the alcoholic in me, um, not to out myself like I just did <laughs> for being an alcoholic, but I really you're um, an alcoholic in you right now. There is, there's, I know it's really uncomfortable to try to talk <laughs> while that's happening, but you know those alcoholics when they get they get a mind to do something, they're just gonna do it. Uh, but I really re- like a lot of what you're talking about about how you used food as an escape. Um, really resonates with me in that whole vicious cycle of escaping from the symptoms of the thing that you're escaping with. Um, it's really interesting to to read about that process. Yeah, yeah. Addiction is is a, a mean bully sometimes, and and it's funny that we we have that bully kind of as part of our makeup. Oftentimes, it takes so much work to confront that bully inside of us, inside of us. There's a bully inside of me, just like there's an alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I can, I can definitely identify with what you're talking about regarding addiction. And of course you and I talk about addiction a lot. And for me, food was my confidant. Food was my lover. Food was my sage. Food was my best friend when I would get home at the end of the days. And I had been just bullied by my peers to the tune of like a 2020 special on bullying kids. It was awful. And what did I have that was consistent and always comforting? I had Oreos. I had Cheez-Its. I had cheeseburgers. I had processed junk food that started to not only have an emotional uh, comfort, but also a physical one because these foods are literally created so that we keep coming back for more. They're blended with the perfect amount of salty and sweet. And they are addictive for a very good reason. Our country is plagued with obesity for a very good reason. The marketers and these food producers know exactly what they're doing. Yeah. Like, uh, there's so many, so many levels of what's happening in your book. And, and one of the things I want to ask you, I also want to like qualify by saying this isn't a book about how to lose weight. No. Um, that said, like, I think it's really interesting that I think people are going to, guess that the takeaway from this book is I went vegan and I lost a hundred pounds, but that wasn't your exact experience. Am I right? No, not at all. And I appreciate that you said that. I, I think that if people want to lose weight, they will, they will be able to figure out how to do it from my story, but it won't, it won't necessarily be just by going vegan. When I went vegan 12 years ago, I went from, you know, fat to obese because I simply replaced the foods that I had been addicted to and also the negative habits that I had uh, with eating with the vegan counterpart. So I, I, you know, as vegans, we have everything at our disposal and, and it's so exciting to live in New York City when you go vegan because you could literally take the subway from that vegan cupcake on the Lower East Side to that Butterfinger Shake in Williamsburg to that like amazing new pizza place in the West Village to insert the blank. It goes on and on and on. And I did it because I was spending my days working for animal liberation as an animal rights activist. And along the way, I I kind of lost sight of the fact that I can't really be there for other animals unless I'm there for my own animal self. So no, I gained weight as a vegan. You can lose weight by going vegan. Uh, but I didn't. (laughs) And, you know, eventually over time I started to, I I was 30 and I was on my way to heart disease. I had 
terribly high triglycerides. I was suffering from depression, from acne, from achy body all the time, from just a whole slew of shit. That was, am I allowed to say shit on your podcast? Yeah, you can say any word you want. Good. Thank you. Shit, 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 shit. <laughs> I suffered from all this stuff that you don't know 30 year old or anyone really anyone should ever have to suffer from. And I was told I was on my way to heart disease. So I decided to give juice fasting a try. And in the process of it, I changed the reason behind my transition to a healthier diet. And I made it not so much about losing weight, but about becoming a more healthy person on a holistic level. And in between juice fasting, I started to get rid of the processed junk foods. And naturally, whole foods started to crowd my plate and crowd out the junk. That's when I lost nearly 100 pounds. And that's when I started to discover all of these pieces of myself that I had previously been squelching. Is it fair to say that you lost weight because you you took the focus off of losing weight and put it on to taking care of yourself better? I think that was a really big part of it. I think that that in and of itself wouldn't necessarily be the only ingredient, so to speak, to result in weight loss. But that as the primary force definitely was the one thing that I had never done before in my many, many, many tries at losing weight, you know, from Weight Watchers to Jenny Craig to Nutrisystem. And as my book says, I not only went with my my mom to her Weight Watchers meetings when I was a kid, and of course she was trying to get down from like 122 pounds to 120 pounds. So, uh, and I was her kind of fat kid trailing behind her playing Tetris with my long black hair. (laughs) But many years later, I had met a casting director. I was an actor and I had met a casting director who was like, you need to lose weight. Come to come with me to Weight Watchers meetings. And I had a crush on this casting director. So I went with her mainly so I could spend time with her. And I was I was closeted to myself at the time, so I didn't really know what was going on. But in retrospect, it is crystal clear. Anyway, eventually I lost enough weight that Weight Watchers hired me. So there's stories in the book about going from the kid who like wouldn't go to Weight Watchers to the adult who was hired by Weight Watchers. And I'm not going to give it away because I want people to read the book always too much and never enough. But let's just say that when I needed to keep my weight down in order to keep my job with Weight Watchers, I did something pretty radical and hilarious. (laughs) Read it, people. You're going to want to read this. Yeah. Well, Um, it's it's true, though. There's there are a lot of there are a lot of benefits that can come from kind of switching the reason why you're doing something. It's probably something you can relate to with running. I mean, you run. I I, I have run with you many times, so I feel that I am allowed to speak on your behalf. (laughs) Yeah. But you, I feel like you run partly because it helps you to create balance in your whole life. You're not just running because you want to be fit. Yeah. And in fact, when. That was kind of where that question came from for me. When I'm really focused on like, oh, I want to be hot. I want to be able to walk around without my shirt on. Like it's not, it doesn't work. But when I'm like, oh, I want to be a better runner or I want to be stronger, that those things make a difference for me. Yeah, we just, it's something I'm trying really hard to plug into other areas of my life too. Like why am I why am I killing myself trying to get this deadline met for our hen house? Is it because the deadline needs to be met? Or can I actually think about another reason? Maybe because I like what I do or I'm passionate about it. I think if we're stuck in any way, shape or form, be it like losing weight or getting more fit or trying to meet our deadlines, if we take a step back and we look at what we're doing and change the 
the consciousness about the reason we're doing it, we might have better results. Yeah. Agreed. Fully agreed. Oh, good. Because if you didn't agree, <laughs> I was just going to hang up. Yeah, I, I would have just hung up without saying anything. So <laughs> you wouldn't have had to. <laughs> um, I want to talk real quick about the sort of um, trajectory of this book happening. Um, there was there was an article you wrote for Mind Body Green um, titled "What Losing 100 Pounds Taught Me About How We Treat Overweight People," and that went viral. Is that the right term for what happened? Yeah, it did go viral. And just interesting side note: I didn't title it that. The people at Mind Body Green titled it that. I actually don't like the word overweight. I wouldn't have used it exactly. However, I am so glad that they titled it the way that they did because, like, within a day, it got like a hundred thousand Facebook likes and shares, and I was literally getting hundreds of messages in my inbox, on my Facebook page, like on my whatever. However, you could message me. People were like, "You are." They, they said, "You are telling my story," and it was basically about how, as I was losing the weight. I had this really interesting vantage point of jumping the fence from the the person who society deemed unacceptable as a fat kid, as a fat young adult, to what the world decided was acceptable. And I saw firsthand how they treated me so much differently. Like men started holding doors. Women would come up to me on the street and compliment my blazer. You know, just all of these little things. And I started to get really skeptical about people's kindness, but I don't think that they meant it badly at all. I just think we are so hardwired to marginalize others. And as I became a thinner person, I started to recognize the ways I was doing it too, which was really kind of scary for me. Mm, I, yeah. Um, so from there, what happened? Oh, I got twice. a, I got contacted by a publisher and they said I really like this article and can I speak with your agent and I was like oh <laughs> so then actually I got contacted by a few agents and I I met with a few different ones and I finally I, I signed with Folio Literary Management, which is like my, they're the, I love them so much. And then they worked, if you hear weird noises in the back, <laughs> Rose is my dog. My darling 12 year old pit bull has decided to scratch her back in a very loud way on the carpet. Right <laughs> I did hear that. And okay. I loved that. I, sound. I just, it's not my stomach. I just wanted to be clear. <laughs> so Steve contacted, Steve is my agent and we worked on my book proposal for three months and we, uh, we offered Berkeley, which is, the publisher I wound up going with, Berkeley is an imprint of Penguin Random House. We offered them a seven-day exclusive, meaning they can they have seven days to make an offer. And if they if they don't make one that we think is acceptable, then we shop it out. And so Allison Janice was my editor, um, who who was the one who discovered the project. And I knew I wanted to work with her. She's an ethical vegan. She this my story really spoke to her. I really liked her personality. So I wound up going with Berkeley. And that was two years ago. It takes two years to birth a book. Wow. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And um, oh, I like I have curiosity about the process. And I don't I know so little about what it's like to write a book. I don't even know what to ask you. Were there uh, rituals that you like? How did you make it happen in your day to day life? How did you add this process of, <laughs> oh, you're writing a book now? 
Well, that the fact that this book even exists is due to two two very important things. The first of which is a lot less important than the second. The first of which is that I am absolutely a doer. Like I, if I'm going to do something, I do it. So there was no question. Not only that, but I think I'm the first author in history to have handed my manuscript in early. <laughs> but the second oh, nice. reason this never would have come to be without Marianne, my my wife, who would wake me up. Like 5.45 in the morning, I would set my alarm clock and then I'd be like, no. And I, <laughs> you know, turn over and put my head under the pillow and she would get up like a saint and make me coffee and make me, you know, prop, prop, make me prop myself up in bed. And I would write every morning from six to eight in the morning. First thing I did. So that's how it happened. Every morning, 6 to 8 a.m., I mostly wrote it from my bed. <laughs> so, And, of course, that winds up, you wind up writing it later as well at the cafe or at the park or this or that. But the process of writing a memoir is trippy because I was reliving some really hard stuff and some hilarious stuff. And I have a little bit more perspective on it now oftentimes. But some of it's deeply personal. I mean, I write about a scene whether uh, questioning whether I was date raped and I and that's something so many women and some men can relate to and I would write this and it would be harrowing and emotional but I would be completely fine and I'd be like wow that was easy that was a lot easier than I thought and then five hours later I was like overcome with emotion and I was like oh I guess it was in there I guess the emotion just wasn't able to come out yet so it was it was due to diligence and a very patient and regimented partner. <laughs> that is amazing. Oh my gosh. I need her in my life. Yeah, she could totally <laughs> call you in the morning and tell you to do what you need to do. I love it. Get it together, dude. Wake yeah. up. I yeah. love it. Oh my gosh. We should wrap this thing up, but let's make sure that we say all the things we need to say, such as the title, Always Too Much and Never Enough by Jasmine Singer. Uh, where is the best place to find you? online and and jasmine has no e which is very annoying thanks mom but so it's j <laughs> it's j-a-s-m-i-n so i think if people go to jasminesinger.com that's the easiest way but of course it's on amazon there's an audiobook version of it as well if people are more into audiobooks so that you can find it on amazon and or IndieBound or wherever books are sold if you are near a bookstore i would be so excited and appreciative if you made sure that they carried it and if not if you requested that they do but jasminesinger.com and i'm on twitter at jasmine underscore singer i know it sucks to have an underscore but let's not discuss that right listen, now. listen it's not that bad it's not <laughs> no all right. And, uh, you know, Our Hen House is also on Twitter at Our Hen House. And you could find my podcast, the Our Hen House podcast at ourhenhouse.org. So there you go. Um, amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I also need to mention, it just hit me, you're going on a tour with this book, too. So if you're in some city, in some land, um, <laughs> <laughs> land that is for actually big? not a priority. I'm okay doing it by sea. I love it. Okay. So, like, there are sea, sea. No. Yeah. 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 Um, like so be sure to check out Jasmine's website for uh, dates where she'll be making appearances and reading and signing books and giving talks and being her amazing self. Um, my website is MikeyPod.com. So if you're listening to this and you don't have a pencil or a pan to write down these websites, you can just go to MikeyPod.com and there will be links to everything we've talked about there. <laughs> I think that's everything. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having a show and inviting me.
wasted you now I just have to figure out how to be myself How to be glad How to be alone How to be glad How to be From their latest album, Everything Reminds Me of Something Else, that was Rua with The Moon. Uh, that's my friend Adam. <laughs> so happy he just sent me that. It's a brand new album. Adam is, it's Adam Rockstar, and he is pretty brilliant. And uh, like, ah, I learned so much from that guy. He's uh, Ableton slash Max Guru. He's been on the show before a while ago. Hmm. Anyway, thanks everyone for listening. MichaelHeron.com is where you can find more about me. Check out MikeyPod.com for uh, more information, links, and everything you need to know about Jasmine if you didn't write things down when you had the chance. You had the chance. I ran out of things to say. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Uh, If the Lord is on my side, I'll have another show up this Friday. And it will be featuring Ray Spoon, who is another brilliant musician. Um, Yeehaw. Talk to you guys on Friday? Question mark.